What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Solidago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about an ancient herb steeped in folklore, ceremony, and healing, commonly known as mugwort, also known as cronewort, and botanically known as Artemisia vulgaris. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I have learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. I am excited to be talking about cronewort with you today, uh, commonly known as mugwort. Mugwort is one of at least 200 artemisias. Artemisia vulgaris is the common artemisia, and it tends to be the one that is I think easier to use on a regular basis. It's not, it's probably the least toxic or one of the least toxic of the Artemisias because it doesn't have as concentrated amount of the volatile oils. So it has a beautiful scent to it, but it's not as intense as say Wormwood or Sagebrush or Sweet Annie, which are three other common artemisias. Tarragon is another artemisia uh, family plant, but I mean, that one is even probably milder than cronewort or mugwort is. 
huge family, um, or huge, well, huge family. The family is the Compositae family. And so that is very large, or the Asteraceae family. And the Artemisia genus is also quite large and varied with um, plants that are more kind of landscape variety plants, all the way to, you know, more wild and weedy plants. Many of the plants in the Artemisia family have this like beautiful silvery leaf aspect to them, but not necessarily all of them have that. But I'm focusing on the wonderful vulgaris of the Artemisias today. Vulgaris basically means common. And, you know, there are other vulgaris species plants out there. And it's basically just one that was commonly used, commonly found, and often abundant. And one that, um, you know, is for, is a plant of the people so to speak. And truly, this plant is that. It was known in Europe and in Greek as um, mater herbarium or herba materm. Sorry again for my pronunciation, but that basically means female plant above all other or mother's herb or mother of herbs. And in a lot of ways, this plant, cronewort, was and still is an herb that really benefits women and girls of all ages and all stages of life. It also benefits all people, uh, men included, and it's a very full body tonic which we will get into. So a tonic of the digestive system, a tonic to the lungs, a tonic to the cardiovascular system, a tonic to the musculoskeletal system, a tonic to the reproductive system. So there's many benefits and we will get into that. But first I want to talk a bit about the history and why this plant and why this genus was dubbed um, Artemisia. A lot of people say that it's named after Artemis, who is a Greek goddess of the moon and healing and of uh, the hunt. Mugwort itself is commonly thought of to be ruled by the moon. And again, it has this beautiful silvery foliage that um, in the under the full moon really lights up. Artemis Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Artemis. So she was thought to revive plants each night with dew and moonlight, while her brother Apollo gave the plant sunlight during the day. And this is that beautiful dichotomy of male and female, the female representing the, the nourishing deep dark and the dew and the moon and the male Um, being represented by the sun and the intensity and the bright light. Artemis was a goddess and protector of women and had influence on their fertility, menstruation, and protection, offered protection during childbirth. She was often uh, called on in these times. 
Another name for Artemis is Diana the Huntress. She was considered a virgin goddess. Back in the time when virgin was still had its original meaning of a woman who is whole unto herself and owned by no one, which I think is really empowering and beautiful, not just one that has not had sex yet. There was a Greek queen that was named Artemisia, and she was named after Artemis by her parents, and she lived around 480 BC. She was the queen of Caria, which was a region in Greece, I believe. And she had married her brother, Mausolus, I think was his name, and he died young. They had a son, and so who was young, a juvenile, and so Artemisia was the queen until the son could become king. So Artemisia was became a very powerful queen and had a fleet of over a hundred ships and did go to war and um, there's a, a huge story, lots of stories about her. You can look her up. I highly recommend it if you have a moment. You can give her old Google. But it's said that maybe even before she became queen, when she was, well, I guess she was still queen, but before she was the only leader at the time, the dominant leader, when she was still married. So she was married for 24 years and ruled with Mausolus over Caria. And it's thought that, or understood, that she studied plants and that she studied botany and was a medical researcher. And she carried out medical research. It was thought that she learned of mugwort and other Artemisia plants and the value that they had and the value that mugwort specifically had in treating women's health. And she then taught it to others. And that is why this plant and this genus of plants was named Artemisia. So in a way, Artemisia was named after Artemis. And in some ways, she really embodied what Artemis stood for. She was um, a very powerful woman who stood on her own, who was not owned by anyone and who valued the healing plants and also um, was a warrior. Whereas Artemis, you know, was the woman of the hunt, I guess, you know, and had a bow and arrow. So Artemisia, well, she had a fleet of 100 ships. <laughs> it said, according to Pliny, the, the elder, in his encyclopedic natural history, that Artemisia discovered the healing properties of a plant previously called Parthenus, which now bears her name. We're not sure which plant in particular Artemisia discovered the properties of, but it was probably mugwort. And this is based on Pliny's writings in which he compares the plant in question to wormwood and a description of Parthenus by Meliger, which refers to its yellow petals, 
which is a feature of mugwort if you can look up really close to the super, super tiny, tiny flowers that look like little silver balls until you get super close to them. And according to Pliny, the plant was used to treat, quote unquote, woman's troubles, surely by which he means menstruation, and maybe more generally as a form of pain relief. Pliny the Elder himself was a Roman author, naturalist, and natural philosopher. He was also a naval and army commander in the early Roman Empire. And he lived in AD uh, 23 to 79. Either way, whether this plant is and genus of plants are named after Artemis, the Greek goddess, or Artemisia, this powerful queen, I think either one is suitable and beautiful. There's lots of theories, actually, as to why mugwort has the name mugwort. So I think the most common is that it refers to, uh, an, in Irish, the word muggin, which is a mug that holds beer. And it's got its name because it was commonly used to flavor uh, beer and other be- fermented beverages, which I will talk a little bit about in a minute. Uh, it was also thought maybe that the word mugwort came from the word, an old English word, mount, possibly, which basically was a word for moth, because mugwort is also a great moth repellent and can be Uh, put in amongst woolens to keep the moths from eating the woolens. Also, it could have been called muggia wart, which is an old Saxon term for midge wart because the burning of the mugwort can dispel midges and other summer biting insects. So as a, instead of lighting your citronella candle, you could light some mugwort incense to have that burning around you when you're outside and don't want to be bothered by mosquitoes and noceums and black flies, depending on whatever season it is. This plant also having a really deep history with women and especially pre- Christian women or pagan women was considered to be witch wart was another name for it or um, crone wart and the crone wart is uh, an early uh, from my understanding was more recently dubbed that and popularized by Susan Weed and she has this beautiful story of when she was talking with mugwort and mugwort said to her don't call me mugwort. I have nothing to do with the drunken fantasies of men with their noses in mugs. Call me cronewort. Don't you see my white silver hair on the underneath of my leaves? I give visions of wise old women. I love that cronewort just feels so much more honoring of the plant and its history than mugwort, although it was a, an herb that was fermented into beers. So uh, that also, I guess, has some honoring, but cronewort just sounds more beautiful to me. 
It was known as another name was oldest of warts because it was a really old plant and had a super rich history. The Irish called it, and again, I'm going to ruin the pronunciation, but Mongok Maish, which means long-haired intoxication, which might put together both the crone wart with the long silvery hair and the intoxication of it being brewed with beer, into beer. The Pennsylvania Dutch called the plant Aldefeet, or which basically meant old woman. The crone wart is blooming and is basically lines, roadways, and kind of wet trenches and fields and edges of places along the seaside. And it, as it blows in the wind, it looks like this beautiful silver hair that's blowing in the wind. Very graceful dancing silver foliage that could resemble the silver hair of a wise woman, bright in the moonlight as the moonlight shines down on it. It is thought that it may be one of the oldest herbs known to humans and could be why it is considered an elder herb in many northern European areas and also in northern China. It was a common tundra herb that appeared at the edge of the glaciers as the glaciers receded at the end of the Ice Age. And there are fossil records that are combined with phytogeographical data that reveal that Artemisia genus plants possibly originated from the existing arid or sub-arid area in temperate Asia in the mid-tertiary. The tertiary is a system of rocks above the Cretaceous and below the quaternary that defines the tertiary period of geologic time. The tertiary period began about 66 million years ago with a mass extinction that clocked the dinosaurs and ended when the ice ages of the quaternary period began about 2.6 million years ago. So a very, very old, old history. It was considered to be one of the primary sacred herbs to ancient Europeans and is noted as one of the nine sacred herbs in the Laknunga, which is a Wessex writing of the 10th century. So the Anglo-Saxons basically had a collection of almost 200 mainly herbal remedies, charms, and prayers uh, that were all found in a manuscript in the British Library. And that was termed the Laknunga, and which basically means remedies. And the mugwort was one of the primary nine sacred herbs that were listed in this extensive manuscript. Nicholas Culpepper in 1651, a noted herbalist, said that its tops, leaves, and flowers are full of virtue. They're aromatic and most safe and excellent in female disorders. There's a wonderful old uh, poem or saying 
that goes, if they would eat nettle in March and mugwort in May, so many young maidens wouldn't go to the clay. There have been remains of smoked mugwort wreaths that have been found in ancient Irish archaeological sites. And there's also a large history showing that the wreaths of Cronwart were burned on Midsummer's Eve celebrations and were traditionally used throughout the world in sacred ceremonies as incense. And of the Artemisia genre in in general around the world, they would be burned either in like Native American smudging with the desert sage brush and seining, which is essentially a similar tradition in Ireland, and also used as, for offerings, is ceremonial and sacred offerings. So there's a, a wonderful history of cronwort specifically being uh, an herb of the midsummer celebrations. And Traditionally, girls would wear garlands and girdles of mugwort to dance with them at the ceremonies, and then they would throw them into the fire for protection in the coming year. And I think this is really interesting to think of, you know, gar- you know just young girls or maybe pubescent girls coming into their own and maybe even, you know, still virgin girls and wearing these garlands and having mugwort all around their middles as girdles as a protection a symbol of protection and health and it's interesting how this plant being in medieval times you know formerly an herb of diana then becomes an herb of saint john and we saw this as well with Hypericum, which is now called St. John's Wort. We also can now see it as also happened with Mugwort, in where it was called an Artemisia plant, a plant for women and of Diana and Artemis and a moon goddess, and used in these pagan midsummer celebrations at the summer solstice and how it then became dubbed and was actually named St. John's plant and it was placed under his protection and it was said that this herb was worn by him and harvested worn on St. John's Eve harvested on St. John's Day And it would be, if it was, then it would be even more powerful to ward off evil. Um, It would be able to ward off disease, demonic possession, bad luck, and the evil eye. St. John the Baptist wore it as a girdle when he would go out into the wilderness to ward off evil. So isn't this an interesting twist where previously it was worn by women and girls to protect them? during the midsummer celebrations, and then it becomes St. John's Day, and now he is wearing it as a girdle into the natural world pr- to protect him from the evils of nature 
And we know that women represented the evils of the natural world, the ever-changing world, to the patriarchy at that time. So once again, we see, you know, pagan traditions being taken over by Christian traditions as a way to easily um, move into a culture and a society and supplant it. There is a lot of folklore also around Artemisia helping uh, people who are weary. So there's an old French saying that one who carries Artemisia on their travels will never feel weary. And Pliny the Elder, once again, said that travelers who carried the mugwort would ward off exhaustion and quote-unquote evil medicine, which was probably witchcraft, considered witchcraft, and that the, this quote-unquote evil medicine would not harm them. So again, we see this, and we've seen this in the past with other herbs and in other podcasts where an herb that was classically one that was very helpful to women, wise women, healers, midwives, um, as herbs, you know, witches, that then it was twisted and this herb then becomes one that can protect people against the evils of these women and these witches that where witch then became a, a bad term. So Artem, uh, the mugwort used as a talisman against tiredness. And this is something that we could still work with in today's world. Um, you could easily carry a sachet of dried cronewort around with you and, you know, break, you know, use it for natural scent therapy to kind of keep you um, alert and awake, which is kind of ironic as I say that because as we'll get into it, but sachets of mugwort um, or cronewort are also used as dream sachets or dream pillows, which aren't necessarily pillows that help you sleep, <laughs> but they're pillows that help you dream vividly, which is actually almost the opposite of, of sleeping in some ways. Historically, as I was saying, that um, mugwort was a common herb that was brewed into beer. There were actually a large variety of herbs that were brewed into beer and um, other beverages before hops really took, took its role as being the main herb that is brewed into beer. And it's probably and likely why mugwort has its name. The flower was gathered and dried, and then uh, the fresh herb was actually considered unsuitable. And then it was decocted with malt liquor and then added to the beer. And in some parts in England, it was still used in beer into the early 1900s. Uh, there's this great book by Stephen Herod Buner called Sacred and Herbal Healing Beers. I actually saw Stephen Buner give a speech, actually, at an international herb symposium back in the early 2000s. And he was saying that, from my memory, he was saying that, you know, hops was not used in beer brewing and that more 
um, mm, ceremonial like herbs like uh, yarrow and mugwort and um, a huge variety of herbs were used and probably would have a little bit more mm, psychedelic effects or ceremonial and sacred effects and could be imbibed during the holidays like the midsummer solstice and would just kind of help make the ceremonies more fun I guess and that with uh, the incoming of the church and patriarchy that they made it a law that you are only allowed to brew beer with hops and no other herbs and that hops is a sedative and so it would actually depress the people and it actually could be a depressant unto itself the hops but that it made people drowsier and sleepier and more sedated when they were drinking the beer and um and more easy to manipulate and control possibly and so i find that i've that just after i think that's the only thing that i remember from that lecture that i went to but it really stuck with me and I find it very interesting and in how long that has stayed with us in tradition um, of hops being brewed into beer as like the dominant herb. So cronewort uh, was a very sacred herb. It was considered an herb of water, an herb of the triple goddess, an herb of the moon and of Artemis. It was used to bless divination and sacred tools and altar objects, both with smoke or with the infusion itself, kind of spraying the infusion around. It was incorporated into women's rituals of rites of passage, including blood mysteries, first menses, birth, and menopause. The tincture of the flower can be taken for enhancing uh, visioning and re deep remembering and getting in touch on a deeper level with one's spirit. The smell of the smoke and the, just the plain smell of the herb can also have effects and heighten psychic awareness. So there are a variety of constituents to this plant. Um, there are triterpenes and sesquiterpenes. There's sesquiterpene lactone called vulgarin. And there's phytosterols, which are constituents that our body can turn into, or actually the microbes in our body can turn into um chemicals that mimic our own body's hormones, which are often called phytoestrogens. There are actually no estrogens in plants, but there are phytosterols that the, our gut flora, our gut microbes can then take and turn into um, constituents that look like and can bind with our hormonal receptor sites. And that's probably one reason why this plant has such a effect on uh, women, female health. There are flavonoids and there are coumarins and coumarin derivatives. So coumarins are 
most commonly thought of as blood thinners, although there are coumarins that can both thicken blood and also thin blood. There's and a variety of coumarins that don't have any effect on the blood. And there's over 13 different types of coumarins. But I think we think of it mostly as being a blood thinner because the drug Coumadin is based on one type of Coumarin. And so that's why. And Coumadin is a blood thinning drug. There are, okay, so we know that this plant has a lot of volatile oils to it because it does have this really relatively strong smell, not as strong as many of its relatives, like as I was saying, sweet annie and sagebrush. But in the volatile oil, <clears throat> which can be extracted and turned into essential oil, there is thujone, there is pinene, cineol, linalool, borneol, and vulgarol. The thujone itself is the one that most people are concerned about. It's considered, when extracted and on its own, thujone is a, considered a narcotic poison by the FDA and can cause convulsions and is very poisonous in large concentrated amounts and an abortifacient. It um, is also found in cedar, which is probably what it's named after, cedar being the Thuja genus. And it's in a few other plants as well. But, and it's in larger concentrations in other artemisias, not uh, Artemisia vulgaris contains probably the least amount of Thujone. So when we look at uh, Artemisia vulgaris's essential oil, thujone is 64% of that essential oil. So it's actually quite a large amount of the essential oil. And this is why I really don't suggest people working with essential oils, especially essential oil of mugwort, uh, because it is so concentrated in poisons from the plant. If you want to know more about my thoughts on aromatherapy and essential oil, there is a podcast episode that I did on that probably back in the 20s, episode 20 something, I would imagine. Artemisia vulgaris contains 0.03 to 0.3% essential oil in it. And of that, 64% of that very small amount of essential oil is the thujone. So again, if you're using the whole plant in its whole form, you're really not getting much thujone at all. But it is something to be aware of if you really start extracting and concentrating the plant, the volatile oil of the plant. So it is said that the plant is uh, to be avoided in pregnancy um, for multiple reasons, because it has amenagogue properties and potentially abortifacient effects, although this is mostly empirical. And it has been shown to be a uterine stimulant um, in vitro and in animals. So that means like in a petri dish, which is in vitro and in animals, not in humans. Um, and this is associated with the major volatile constituent thujone. And so you have to wonder, 
when they're doing these tests on animals, what are they actually using? Are they using the essential oil, probably, of the plant versus the whole plant in like a tea form? So again, we're talking about right relationship and how we're actually working and relating with the plant and how that really leads to the safety of the plant. Another constituent uh, is inulin, and which helps to maintain blood sugar levels and is very helpful with for people with diabetes, which I talked a lot about in the Ella campaign episode. Another active constituent in mugwort, although it's much more concentrated in wormwood and sweet annie, is artemisinin, uh, which is in all artemisias, but less in mugwort. And that's the anti, has been shown to have anti-malarial properties that can kill malaria. And I think that's mostly being worked with in the artemisia annua, otherwise known as sweet annie. So as we're talking about these constituents, a few other precautions. Um, Some reports show that mugwort was used historically as an abortifacient or in abortifacient formulas, which is more likely. So along with maybe some more potent herbs as well. And so it's suggested that if you're pregnant to use only under supervision, There was no stimulant action noticed when worked in isolation with guinea pig uteruses. I don't know if that means the uterus was isolated from the guinea pig or what. I mean, I'm not really a fan of animal testing at all, but generally no toxicity studies have been identified and there's, there is a potential, very small possibility of a skin reaction, more so a pollen allergy because this is an airborne pollen and it is blooming now, which is also the time when ragweed is blooming and the pollen is in the air. This is a kind of a high hay fever pollen time for some folks. There's no really info on nursing. A lot of people do say not to use it while lactating, and that is because of the thujone content. But again, uh, mugwort itself, and if you're just drinking it as a tea, is going to have a very small amount of that. So again, this is, I would say, the safest and mildest of the artemisias. And the stronger the scent and taste of the artemisias get, then the more intense and potentially problematic they get. There has been shown that it can become poisonous to livestock who only consume mugwort, like in cases of overgrazing in fields. And this is another interesting theme that we are seeing is we talked about this with hypericum is like when fields get totally overgrazed by livestock or animals, it's almost like it's the environment's protection is that the plants that are left to the grazing um, are ones that can make the animal sick and have to move on if they are, if they can, um, to other pastures to kind of protect the land and protect the pasture from being completely decimated by livestock. We're going to dive into some more detailed medicinal properties of this plant and how it affects multiple body systems. 
So stick with me and I'll be right back. Okay, so let's talk about some medicinal properties of this plant. It is, as I was saying, a tonic to many aspects, many systems in the body. It strengthens and tones the nervous system, the digestive system, the circulatory system, the kidneys, the lungs, the reproductive system, and the musculoskeletal system. It's considered a digestive bitter, and yes, it is bitter, not nearly as bitter as its cousin wormwood. Uh, it's a carminative, which eases gas, and it's especially known to be a very effective cholagogue, which helps the release of bile and helps the liver to produce bile and helps the gallbladder to release it to help to break down fats that we consume in the intestines. It is an anti-inflammatory and an antispasmodic. So that can be very helpful in our musculoskeletal system and also in our reproductive system. It's a vermifuge, anthelmintic and antibacterial. So it basically kills parasites, worms, and an array of bacterias. It's an amenagogue, which can have an array of definitions. It definitely, an an amenagogue basically uh, often means to bring on amenses. But it's not like these amenagogues are you're going to drink it and you're going to start bleeding. You know, it's like maybe to bring on a delayed menses, but generally when we are talking about amenagogues, we also are saying let's not use them in pregnancy. But an amenagogue can also be more of a regulizer. I don't want to say regulate because that's like regulate your period, but um, it can help to normalize or modulate your menses to bring it back to a homeostasis, to a healthier state of being. Vulnerary, which basically means to help heal wounds. So it can be used as a poultice and is also hemostatic, which means it can help stop um, and slow bleeding. It's a, which is interesting because it also has these coumarins, right? So This is what we see with these herbs that are so complex and varied in their chemistry that they often have equal and opposite reactions on the body, depending on what we need, right? Uh, Diaphoretic and diuretic. So I've said this in the past, but you'll often see these two actions together in herbs, diaphoretic Uh, means that it will help you sweat and release heat from the body, often can help reduce fevers through this action. And then diuretics basically help you to um, eliminate fluid, excess fluid, edema, um, or just to make you pee more. 
and often affects the kidneys. Okay, so we're going to dive a little deeper now into specific areas of the body that this wonderful plant, cronewort or mugwort, can help us with. So we're going to start with women's health because this definitely is a woman's herb. For women's health, uh, it's considered a tonic for the ovaries and uterus and is beneficial for a huge range of female reproductive disorders. Uh, It can just help, as I was saying, bring back homeostasis within the female reproductive system. So it's interesting because it's been very consistent, though has a weak action, um, a uterine stimulant action. But in over... Uh, 50 countries, it can help to regular regularize menses, both to increase a scanty menstruation or slow excessive bleeding, either after childbirth or during menstruation itself. And it can also be help- helpful to normalize menses in girls who are entering into puberty where things can get a little wacky, and also women who are going through menopause. It is shown to both increase fertility and to facilitate childbirth, but generally, especially in America, is avoided during pregnancy. However, in China, it allays bleed. It is used to allay bleeding of the womb and treat threatened abortions and miscarriages um, and has also been shown to calm fetus the fetus so it's um, it's funny that it's used differently in China but it might also be a different species because the moxa that is burned in China is a different species as well and I think There is a lot that is lost in translation. So in America, we don't use it during pregnancy because really there's not necessarily a need to. Lots of other herbs that are known to be safe in pregnancy and it's not something that we want to mess around with. Generally, it would be very beneficial for people who specifically have uh, either scanty or excessive bleeding that are is triggered by nervous conditions in the body because it is a nervous system tonic as well. For digestion, it is a bitter, so it's going to help to increase digestion. It improves stomach tone and relieves a wide variety of digestive woes, especially if you're having a hard time digesting and breaking down fats. It provides tone to the intestines, so is considered a mild, gentle laxative, not a stimulant laxative. It supports the liver, again, because of its bitter tendencies. And this, any herb that helps the liver also helps to modulate hormones in the body because the liver has a huge action on our hormonal health. It's Um, a tonic to the kidneys and is also a diuretic 
as I said. So it helps people that have specifically have um, edema with their PMS. It's beneficial for the skin, even though it's thought that it could possibly cause a skin reaction from touching a lot of the fresh plant. In herbal preparations, it can relieve itching, eczema, um, skin fungus, and other skin infections because it is um, antibacterial, especially for staph infections, and also antifungal, so it could be used against um, yeast infections as well. A nervine, a tonic for the nervous system. And it can uh, allay a variety of types of depressions. So in general, we need way more words than just depression because there are so many different aspects and types of depressions. It's thought to calm hysteria. And the interesting, the origin of hysteria is hyster. Uh, which is the uterus or hysterectomy. And so that word, uh, if you're curious about it, look it up, but it has uh, a connection with women and women's basically women who were trapped as homemakers and were ended up being considered hysterical and going into hysteria because they basically couldn't live the life that they wanted to live um, from my understanding of it. And so we're considered hysterical, but uh, nervousness and nervous disorders. So for people who are generally shaky and um, need a mild sedative for the nervous system, this could be helpful. And interesting enough, it's also been shown to help ease um, epilepsy and Convulsions possibly help to control seizures by decreasing the severity and frequency of them in either a tea or a tincture. So this is, if you want to work with this, you would, I would definitely recommend doing more research on this specifically. Although it seems like maybe cannabis is more the herb than mugwort is for this specifically these days. Uh, help with sleep as a tea or a tincture, uh, but the scent of it is going to increase dreaming, and the thought is that it might actually be more stimulating or slightly agitating to the brain so that when we are sleeping, it keeps us more in this um, slightly awake, uh, slightly so we have more vivid dreams and more lucid dreams. And can sharpen intuition and perception and also strengthen memory. And that is also, I believe, more as like a natural scent therapy, but, um, or in ceremony. Immune support. It's antimicrobial, specifically against staph, pseudomonas, E. coli, kibsiella, strep, and more and also fights funguses and worms, parasites, although wormwood, if you are really wanting to uh, fight or prevent parasites, if you're traveling, then I would carry a tincture of wormwood over a tincture of mugwort, because again, it's very more concentrated in these volatile oils, which are the poisons that kill these things. Uh, Could be 
helpful in cases of colds, flus, bronchitis, fevers, again, because it's diaphoretic, you'd want to drink a hot tea for that. And very beneficial for the musculoskeletal system, which I feel like we don't hear a lot about with mugwort. So especially in cases of rheumatism, which is basically any disease that's marked by inflammation and pain in the joints, muscles, or fibrous tissue, especially um, including rheumatoid arthritis, the antispasmodic um, relaxing to cramps and tension in the body, the minerals nourish bones and joints, and it contains nutrients like vitamins A, B, C, calcium, potassium, phosphorus, and iron, and can also be infused into an oil for sore muscles and joints, and probably even uh, to be rubbed over the pelvis in cases of uterine cramping. Very beneficial for the lungs. It can help relax because it's antispasmodic, these bronchial tubes, and help to open the airways. And a steam inhalation it can help to ease bronchial inflammation. So a huge variety of benefits across the board for our body. Lots of preparations. I would say the more common ones as a tea and maybe you could put a couple other herbs in there if the flavor is too bitter for you maybe to lighten it up maybe a little bit of mint or something Uh, a tincture uh, which is an alcohol extract you could infuse it in vinegar for a bone building vinegar if you want to extract the nutrition like the vitamins and minerals from the plant a topical poultice for wound healing, an infused oil, again, as I was just saying, for muscle soreness and cramping and spasms, a smoke uh, inhaled both ceremonially and uh, potentially to help open the airways, a bath, an amulet, an incense, a ritual tea, or dream pillows. I made a dream pillow of mugwort, and I was soon, I think I was in the first year of motherhood, and I put it under my pillow, and after three nights of super intense dreaming um, to the point where I was really not getting a restful sleep, and I really needed it because I was still nursing my child in the middle of the night at times, um, Yeah, I basically had to remove it from my bedroom and it has not returned to my bedroom, but it probably will. (laughs) Again, I just, the dreams were way too intense and it was not a restful sleep, which is what I I needed at the time. Uh, Eaten as a food, the young leaves from the tips of the plant that is growing, used in cooking, uh, used as a seasoning. Um, in the spring, the spring greens can be added to salads or steeped in a vinegar to make a dressing. And in Chinese, there's a Chinese species, either Artemisia moxa or Artemisia sinensis. A lot of people talk about it when they talk about Artemisia vulgaris or mugwort, and the Chinese use it as moxa, 
which is basically burning it over acupuncture points, us the smoke and allowing the warmth and the smoke to be burned over acupuncture points, not actually burning the skin, but um, as more of an energetic medicine. So native to Northern Eurasia, it's been introduced to North America and now lives in temperate regions of the Northern hemisphere around the world. It grows in open areas along roadsides. It spreads on rhizome runners under the ground, just like mint does, but could probably overtake a mint patch. So it's not a plant that you necessarily want to introduce to a very controlled garden. Although it does, it has been said that often it grows by the front door of herbalists. I love that. And I know many an herbalist who do grow it and plant it in their dooryard. And maybe it grows by the front door because it can kind of overtake the area easily. It spreads rapidly. So it's usually totally okay to forage. Um, it's an abundant weed. You really don't have to worry too much about over harvesting it, especially if it's just for personal use. So when you harvest it, you every different herbalists harvest it at different times. So again, any time of the year you can harvest it in the spring, it's going to be more edible for food and more tasty. And then as the leaves grow and mature, you're going to get more of those volatile oils. Once it blooms, you're going to have even more possible volatile oils, but you're not going to have as many leaves to work with. So try working with it at different points in the season and see what you prefer to work with. If you are allergic to the pollen, um, then you may not want to have the pollen in your remedies. So you may want to harvest it before it blooms. I wanted to finish this evening out with a beautiful poem that Robin Rose Bennett wrote, and it's in her book, The Gift of Healing Herbs. And this book was published in 2014. It's a beautiful book. It's over 500 pages. It's full of information um, and uh, her personal experiences, stories, recipes and poetry and so I highly recommend getting this book and for if you don't know of Robin Rose Bennett definitely look her up she has YouTube uh, videos she's on Instagram and she has uh, multiple books out as well so this is her poem called Mugwort Cronewort I am Artemisia I'm bitter and green. I tone liver and stomach and keep your mind keen. I have vitamins galore and minerals too. They've called me eldest of warts. You know it is true. I keep harmful bugs out of your belly within, and I help with removing rashes from your skin. And not only that, you can put me in a drawer and wool-eating moths won't bother you anymore. What I really love is to tonify your nerves so that you are strong even when life throws you curves. I balance hormones, increase your menstrual flow, help you with cramping and PMS too, you know. 
I help you to dream, to envision what you need, to journey within, so your true passions you'll heed. Drink me, and you may reclaim yourself free and true. Eat me, and I'll help you dance and howl moonward, too. For men, I am Pan. For women, I'm Artemis. I am eldest of warts. Medicine is part of us. Thank you, Robin Rose Bennett, for that beautiful poem. And thank you, listeners, for listening. I appreciate you. If you appreciate me and you're listening on iTunes, I would love a rate and review. That would be wonderful to help more people find this podcast. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, my website, uh, all under the name Solidago Herb School. You can sign up for a free informational and inspirational newsletter, which I will start sending out again this winter once garden season slows down. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube